0: Discussing the commodities markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisby. Hello and welcome to Commodity Watch Radio, which, as you know, is hosted in association with Mindsight.com. I'm Dominic Frisby, and in today's show, I'm talking to Michael Hampton, a.k.a. Dr. Bub, who is in Hong Kong, and uh, he... Sent an email to me today saying he felt that there are many parallels between now and 1976, particularly for the UK. Mike, hello, how are you doing? Um, Why don't you expand on that?
1: Yes. um, Hi, Dominic. Um, It's good to be here. Perhaps what I'll do is I'll post some charts on GEI so people can look at these charts while listening to the podcast... Uh, so I'll describe what I'm seeing, and then hopefully people will be able to see the same thing on the on the thread. Um, well, I'm really just now looking at a chart showing gold prices during 1976. Uh, and actually, it's gold prices from 1970 to 1979. And uh, what we see on that chart is something similar to what we've been experiencing in the gold market over the last year or so. Uh, we see gold ran up, and I don't know if people remember, but you know the gold price in u s dollar terms was fixed, and uh that was at thirty five dollars and uh you know the price was uh, control on on gold was lifted in the sixties and it rallied a little bit and then fell back to thirty five dollars at the beginning of the decade at the beginning of nineteen seventy uh gold price was thirty five dollars again from then until. 1974, the end of 74, the gold price ran up from $35 to $200. Um, That's about six times, I think, 5.7 times. And then it pulled back from $200 to $100. That's a drop of 50%. And then off to the races. So the reason I'm thinking that's interesting is a lot of people wonder if, you know, the gold bull market is over and – you know i don't think it is and uh, i think the idea of there being a mid cycle correction in gold is something that people like jim turk and various other people have talked about it's interesting to look back at this previous mid cycle gold correction and see that a drop of 50% in the price of gold was just the setup for a big rally and you know what was happening in the background in the you know the economy then, and we can think about the UK, and I'll, I'll find the chart for the UK. I haven't got it in front of me, but I'll find it and put it on the thread. But what happened in the US is there was a pretty huge drop in the stock market in, uh, in 74-5, and there was a huge drop, even bigger. I think it was over 80% in, in, in the, uh, in the UK stocks at the time. It's one of the biggest drops in stock market history, actually. I, I don't know if you remember that, but, The chart will make an interesting viewing for those who don't have a memory of this. I was only um, six. (laughs) Well, you probably didn't have much of a portfolio in those days uh, at six years old. But uh, so anyway, um, you know, there was a lot of pain around like there is now, and stocks were down, and governments reacted by cutting interest rates, and... uh, Basically, that period of falling stock prices and falling interest rates set up another jump in inflation. And uh, we may be in a very similar similar period now. I'm tending to regard this period we're in now as the setup phase for something pretty nasty. And uh, I don't think we're yet doomed to hyperinflation, but I think we're headed towards it. And the UK, in fact, seems to have jumped ahead of the US. I mean, uh, we were talking about this before we started the podcast. That um, it used to be, you know, I was looking at the UK economy when it comes to property as being 17 months behind the US. Well, I think Gordon Brown, by saving the world, um, has managed to <laughs> has managed to speed up the uh, the UK's transition through this pretty nasty time. Uh, towards towards some very big trouble. And, and, you know, what's going on here? And uh, perhaps now I can refer to another diagram, um, which you've seen, I think, right?
0: I have. Yep. Let me just interrupt you very briefly, Mike, just to say that sure. um in uh, my New Year's predictions in, in Money Week this year, I wrote... I mean, I, I think you and I are both big admirers of Mish, and B- Mish is a big deflationist. But I wrote yeah. in my uh, Money Week, uh, which is much more directed at English readers, whereas Mish is writing for American readers, talk of mm. deflation is irrelevant in the event of a currency collapse and what mm. we 've experienced in sterling over the last few months and it just seems to get faster and faster by the day is a currency collapse, and the, the, the you know we 're not seeing apart from houses we 're not and stocks we 're not seeing lower prices than anything on the, in, in on the street food isn 't getting any cheaper. And and the the impact of, of a falling currency is terrifying, particularly on on savers.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's a really good point, and um, that's actually where I was I was going to go next with this is is that there's a progression of steps uh, that you know an economy goes through on the way to hyperinflation, and um, the, the the you know after the debt is built up, which is you know where this, the U.S. now is building up a lot of debt, and you know you build up that debt and that leaves the economy um vulnerable to a loss of confidence so the uk is now at this stage where that confidence is being lost um people want out of sterling and jim rogers um has been prominently on bloomberg if people are watching bloomberg talking to people and saying they should get their money out of sterling and you know i, I don't know if you've heard him uh, it's rather frightening. Um, he's talking about how, well, you know, what does the UK sell? What does the UK have to sell to the world? And he says, really, it's mainly two things: is is North Sea oil, which is beginning to run out, and financial services. And, and commodity so, watch radio. <laughs> and commodity watch. Well, yeah, I mean that's it. As somebody said, <laughs> somebody said to uh, Jim, well, you know, don't worry. I mean, you know, don't be silly. You know, the UK has a lot more to sell. You know, they have. Uh, Rolls-Royce and they have uh, have uh, the Beatles um, so you know and then Jim started laughing and saying well do you think that the UK can really replace all of you know income it was and of course it can I mean it, the UK sells some wonderful creative endeavors uh, records uh, music um, used to sell records I mean sorry music um, um, yeah films. Well, all forms of <laughs> media Television. All forms of media, and it's brilliant stuff. Um, but is it really enough to keep the economy going? Um, and, you know, the manufacturer is gone. The And, you know, so far, and eventually maybe there's some cure uh, uh, potential in, in a lower currency because the idea of a lower currency is it makes your exports more competitive. But, you know, people aren't buying Exports. I mean, you know, all the countries are shutting their economies but down. Or and, and, slowing and I'll just add something down.
0: to that. It's all very well making our exports cheaper for foreign buyers. But the amount of bureaucracy, talk to any small business or even any medium-sized business, and they just say the amount of red tape and bureaucracy and everything else uh, and and small taxation just so disincentivizes any man from setting up a business and, and, and also the employment laws that... that it doesn't matter if our stuff is cheap to make it just it's so we're so uh, disincentivized from making it in the first place.
1: Well, that's, that's a good point. And I think, you know, in the post Brown world, which I hope we get into soon, I mean, I I don't want to digress too much on this, but, you know, we're even thinking on, on GEI of uh, setting up a website to kind of pull together the anti uh, Brown argument. Um, Maybe there's not maybe there's not much need for that now because I think people can see it pretty clearly. But I I found it so strange that you know he was on uh, on the media claiming credit for having saved the world and done this and that um, to fix the problem when when he's really been making it a lot worse. And you know he's been until recently he's been blaming the UK's problems on the financial uh, mess that spread out from America. And you know there is some element of that, but I mean, we need to consider how... He's blamed everyone but himself. Yeah, and, and, you know, what has the U.K. done? I mean, I have the figures. uh, I'll put the figures on the thread. Um, From memory, um, the figure that, you know, always kind of stuck in my mind, the figure stuck in my mind was the amount of household debt that the average, that the the U.K. had in relation to its GDP. It it was 168%. Uh, so that's the figure i remember and that was in 2006 and there was loads of debt added in uh, 2007 and 2008 to that figure um so the 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 average well uh, the uk household debt and this is not government debt but individual debt was probably pushing up towards 200% of gdp and the figure for the us uh households was 138% from memory so it's quite a bit lower and so i mean you know the UK was ahead of the US in its its debt levels, and now Brown's and his government has gone and you know is saving banks right and left and borrowing a lot more money. Uh, this time, not the households borrowing, but the government borrowing, and this is pretty perilous stuff. No wonder people are running away from sterling. You got a situation, you got a lot of debt and falling exports. So, you know that's why people are worried. Um, So where do we go from here? Um, Well, um, if we're headed towards hyperinflation in the U.K., and, you know, I do think, by the way, that there's a fair chance that, that, you know, now that we're facing the fears that there'll be a pullback and Sterling will rally from some level. I'm not saying here from some level. And this whole scenario we're discussing will be put off for a while, but we are headed into this scenario that the economy gets so bad enough that the government starts taking over one business after another, one industry after another, and um, the industries that were losing money don't suddenly stop losing money; they continue losing money, and uh, the government has to pay the employees. So, where is the money going to come from if if foreign foreigners won't give people debt, they won't give Britain money to pay for this? Um, loss making industries the government's going to have to print the money so then you have a situation where the government is printing money and handing it to nationalized industries and those nationalized industries are using it to pay salaries and it's going out into people's hands and uh... people are worried as they are now about their currency losing value so they're going to be looking to get the money you know out of the uk as quickly as possible in, into gold and other things so the money starts going into gold, the money starts going into stocks. Um and you know getting out of out of bank accounts. I mean you told me you know a wonderful story. I don't know whether you'd like to repeat it about some relatively modest amount of debit you had to pay in Canadian dollars in an account. And what happened over a week? That was quite a story, I thought. Yeah,
0: well, I, I had, uh, I had uh, in my stockbroker's account, I had some Canadian dollars that I had to p- to pay off. And I uh, just had a problem with my debit card. So it, it meant the payment didn't go through until two or three days after it should have done. And then I had a problem with my Internet connection. So I couldn't transfer the, the, the payment I'd made in from sterling to canadian dollars and the whole thing took about a week longer than it should have done and given with the collapse that's happened in sterling it's it's cost me a small fortune but if you're if you're in a business that in, that is involved in you, you know you need stable currencies in order to transact your business and if, if one currency suddenly becomes hugely uh, expensive compared to another and it can upset your whole business i mean it's just a terrible situation to be in you want a stable you want stable currencies, and, and the way the Forex markets are, the, uh, are at the moment, you, you don't get it. And, and the, the, the other interesting comment is I, I went to buy a bottle of champagne the day before yesterday, and I couldn't believe how expensive it was. And I said to the woman in the off-licence, why is it so expensive? And she said champagne is made in France, and the currency of France is the euro, and they sell champagne in euros.
1: I wonder how quickly she's adjusting her prices as well, because she would have bought her inventory when, when the sterling was more, more expensive. I mean, if she's, if she's intelligent about it. Yes, she said,
0: this is my Christmas stock. You wait till the next load of stock comes in.
1: There you go. There you go. I mean, actually, and, and, you know, that, that's, that's when you start seeing, you know, the move towards high inflation, hyperinflation, because people realize that the goods coming into the UK from Europe and, and elsewhere are going to get more expensive. So, what what they do is they say, okay, um, I've got money sitting in the bank. It's losing, losing value because sterling's losing value. Why don't I start taking that money out of my bank account and buying these things I need? And maybe champagne's not going to be on the top of everyone's list, but that's only a good example. Start buying things that the U.K. is importing from elsewhere um, that I need to do my business or that I need to live and why don't i buy those things now before sterling loses even more value in, in the next week or the next two weeks
0: but that's so the typical mentality of of severe inflation
1: yeah and so that's and and, and, and then um, as people see the, the the you know those costs going up they go back to their employees where they have a job and they think they have some chance of holding on to it for example when they're working for the government and they say look you know, you're just going to have to pay me more money. You're going to have to pay me more wages, more salary in this government job so that I can afford all these things that are going up in costs. And, you know, that that's probably not very far away.
0: The average government salary is now two, uh, 10% higher than the average private sector salary.
1: Wow. So there it is. I mean, you know, the private sector, you know, has to adjust downwards or, or put some kind of a lid on, on salary expense, whereas the government employees are 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 used to not having that discipline so you know you've got a differential and and you know people will probably say until the government starts cutting jobs that wow i I, why why stay in the private sector you know where i have all these hassles and risks why don't i go and work for the government and they'll probably be happy when their banks are taken over i mean so, I assuming mean, they didn't have shares in the banks, they probably feel safer, you know, if they're suddenly working for a bank that's been nationalized because they probably reckon that their jobs are safer.
0: But this is, this is another problem that the government have. The more, and there is a clear trend of, of nationalizing banks taking place, the more they nationalize the bank, the more the liabilities of the bank are passed on to the government. But if the liabilities of the bank are in euros or yen or or U.S. dollars or Swiss francs or whichever currency it is, the government are going to face liabilities in foreign currency, but the only tool they've got to pay down those liabilities is the print- printing press in their own falling currency. You, you know, yeah. these liabilities could seriously bankrupt the government.
1: Well, yes, and, and you know, I, I've seen that before in, you know, my sort of working lifetime. Um, you're probably a bit younger at the time. But uh, I remember in the U.S. during Jimmy Carter's time, uh, we reached—you know and I was a student, and I think uh, almost, um, you know, the the the, um, the government, the U.S. government, had to borrow in foreign currencies because no one wanted to lend them dollars because the dollar was falling so fast. So that's something to watch when 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 the U.K. starts going to foreign governments and borrowing money in foreign currencies. But
0: I mean, that's what happened. It's, that's the, the that was the. Great third world debt.
1: Yeah, so so in a way, I suppose theoretically, a falling uh, sterling when your debt is in sterling is not as bad a thing. It's certainly in, you know for the government because they can print the money to pay back the sterling debt. But you're right, when those debts are denominated in foreign currencies, particularly stronger currencies, then uh, then that's 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 not happening. Um, and you know, I think. People probably anticipated this kind of problem in the U.S. And, you know, a year ago when the dollar was still weak and going weaker, people thought, oh, well, great, I'm going to borrow in U.S. dollars, and um, when the dollar gets weaker still and the dollar loses value, I'm going to pay this back. Well, look what happened. Suddenly, um, you know, because of the deleveraging situation and so many of these bets being denominated in dollars and people wanted the bets settled, you um, you know, the dollar went up in value because people had to suddenly were asked by their banks to pay off the debts. Now, I don't see that kind of, you know, safety net or or escape for for sterling. I mean, you know, sterling interest rates have been high, and it's been perceived for a long time. It was perceived up until summer to be a stronger currency than the U.S. currency. So there isn't a lot of debt in dollars, and there isn't aren't a lot of bets to be settled in in sterling. And, um, you know, <clears throat> there I don't see a mechanism which is suddenly going to save Sterling, really. Um, I,
0: I had a call today from a, a comedian friend of mine who's, you know, a sweet guy, you know, f- fairly, he's not a rich man. And he said, I've got about 15 grand's worth of savings. And I'm terrified mm. uh, what's happening to Sterling. I, you know, he's got his house and he's got his mortgage and he's got his income and he's got about 15 grand's worth of savings, which he's built up. And I, and, I, and I thought, and I was, at first, I was reluctant to tell him to buy gold because of the mm. fact that gold has just broken out to nearly £650 an ounce and it's in an all-time highs and it's usually a bad thing to buy something when it's broken out to all-time highs. But then I yeah. thought, actually, you should buy, that is the best thing you can possibly do with that money because if sterling continues to collapse, gold mm-hmm. is about the only thing that will save you. But if sterling doesn't collapse and that, the, that gold comes down in value, it means the value of your house and, you, and the safety of your job and the economy and everything else is likely not to implode. It's so a proper it, it's, hedge. It's a proper hedge. Because, yep. I, I, you know, I said you can't lose because either it will save you if, if disaster mm-hmm. strikes and if disaster doesn't strike, you're saved anyway.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, I think you've got to put some of that money into gold. For exactly that reason. Um, but, you know, you, you, the other thing to do is to look at what you need to live and things that you're going to be buying over the next few months that come from foreign countries and wh- whose prices, therefore, might be pushed up, you know, when, when they get repriced, when the, the next round of imports arrives and buy a few of those things. And you know, it really depends on the individual. One has to go through and think about what one needs to live that comes comes from abroad so those would be some things to buy um... funnily enough stocks uh... might be something else to buy Um we were talking about this earlier is that there are a number of mining stocks especially gold mining related stocks that are quoted in sterling that one can buy in the stock market that might be a place to put some of your money i wouldn't suggest putting it all there because there are other risks as we've seen in the last year when you do that but uh, I think you'll see people start fleeing you know, into the stock market um, and, and some of these. And so look, look for companies that produce gold and indeed companies whose assets are mainly denominated outside sterling. And I think you'll see <clears throat> that you're going to get some kind of a rally in those stocks in the weeks to come if sterling continues to be weak.
0: Look, looking at the bigger picture in commodities, is this the, the end of the bull market or is it a mid-cycle correction? Not gold, I'm talking about, you know, oil and base metals and everything else.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's my theory, and that's what I've been thinking about the last couple of days and starting to post about is, you know, in a way I wish I'd done this work, you know, a year ago or six months ago because I might have been on the right side of some of those moves. But we've had a pretty severe correction. And um, I think, you know, by the way, oil is something interesting to look at. Um I've been having some ex- conversations with this new exchange that's opening up here in Hong Kong, and uh, last Monday I went to see uh, the, the CEO and talked to him a little bit, and uh, hopefully I'll do some kind of work for them. But anyway, um, he, he's hes obviously, he used to work for NIMAX. He was a senior guy in NIMAX before he joined the new exchange. And uh, we were talking about oil, and, uh, you know, I was sort of wondering with him, you know, how can U.S. oil prices be so cheap? And, um, you know, I think this is a really a little bit the mystery because, you know, I look at oil a little bit differently than a lot of people do. Instead of looking at the, you know, spot price and Cushing, uh, WTI, Cushing spot price that most people quote on Bloomberg or whatever, <clears throat> I think it's actually useful to not look at the spot price but to look further out to look at the price in 2011 or 2012, you know it's up out there. It's you know it's close to seventy dollars. And you know as the price dropped, the long-term price has been very stable. Okay. Um, so what's really going on here is we have a glut of spot physical oil, and it's interesting to consider. And and you know what's really strange actually, and this is unprecedented is the price of oil in Cushing is below the price of oil in the North Sea, okay? So you've got to think about that for a minute, because that's a pretty interesting phenomenon. What that means is that if you have oil in a tanker, you're actually not getting paid to move that oil from the North Sea to, uh, to the U.S. It's actually costing you money, okay, to move that oil from the North Sea to the U.S., why? Because there's so much oil sitting in storage and, you know, waiting to be consumed in the U.S. that the price is lower. And the gap at one point hit $8. There was, actually, oil was $8 cheaper in the U.S., which is a consuming center, than it is, was in the North Sea, which is a producing center for oil. And that's crazy. That can't go on. So, what it means is, and, and by the way, let's consider first of all what, why that happens. I mean, basically, people who have oil um, are being pushed by their banks to repay debt. You know, as the oil price falls, the banks get nervous, and they want their debt repaid. So they're insisting that people who have debt, that they continue to pay pay back their debt, and they pump oil as much as they can. So people are paying, pumping oil like mad in the U.S. to repay these debts, Um and they're honoring contracts they have. And if the contract requires them to deliver oil into Cushing, they're doing it because, you know, that's the only way they're going to get paid if they honor their contracts. But at some stage, what happens is people say, right, well, now that I've got this oil in surplus, I'm going to ship it back to the U.K. where it's got a higher price. So, um, you know, that, and, and and moreover, people have still have the flexibility to decide the destination for the oil they're not going to bring it into the US anymore. They're going to you know use it somewhere else. So what is about to happen, and maybe it started already, uh, and I think there's a fair chance we're seeing a turn in oil here, uh spot oil, we're gonna start seeing the spot oil price go back up. And you know, the you know turning these, these markets around is a bit like turning the queen mary is you know it, it you know it takes time for these decisions to be made and turn things around so once the decision is made not to let oil come in the u.s. anymore but to, to divert it elsewhere that you know suddenly there'll be you know a shortage of oil coming into the u.s. and the spot price will shoot back up again so you know we may see here fairly quickly um a fairly dramatic rise in the spot oil price uh and you know longer term, um, decisions are being made about whether to go ahead with oil projects. So just while the whole world is focused on, you know, demand destruction, the real story right now, the story people should be focused on is supply destruction, okay? Because, yes, oil is being used up, but more important thing is the oil that would be produced, you know, if they kept these projects uh, underway – is suddenly now not going to be produced because the money's not going to be there to finance these projects. The and the wells aren't even going to get drilled. So if you look out, you know, two, three years from now, um, you're going to see oil prices probably much, much higher than they are today, and even higher, maybe dramatically higher than the seventy dollars a barrel that you see out there in two thousand eleven in the futures market right now. Uh, I mean I made a forecast uh last Last year, you know, before the oil price peaked, you know, I kind of forecast the the peak was coming, and I thought the oil price would drop back to eighty to one hundred dollars. I mean, it's dropped a lot further than that, but it's basically the long term price has dropped back to that sort of range. Um, and then I said, after the price drop, you know, at some point oil will bottom, and the oil price will go up. And I have a forecast from somewhere in the time frame of two thousand eleven to two thousand thirteen of four hundred dollars a barrel. I'm sticking to that. $400 a barrel in the time frame of 2011 to 2013. Uh, and you know, that at that time, the oil price won't be worth, the dollars won't be worth what they are today. We'll be seeing, by that time I reckon we'll be seeing a falling dollar, just as we're seeing a falling sterling now. So at $400, your dollar isn't going to be buying you as much as it's buying today. So anyway, I mean, we're in for some very interesting times. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm writing an article um, which will have the uh, 17 steps to uh, to a greater depression, and we're <laughs> in the U.S. We're we're about step seven right now, and the U.K. looks like it's jumped ahead to a point where the really dangerous, scary part where where uh, where foreigners start losing confidence in, in in the currency, and it's going to be, get very interesting from here.
0: All right, Mike. Well, I mean, a- anything else you'd like to add, or, or should we uh, should we leave it there? I'll post a link to this chart. In fact, I might even post it on the um, on the Commodity Watch Radio homepage because it's such a good chart.
1: Well, I you know one of the reasons I'm writing this article is in you know I might try and get it published in some different places than you know alongside. Financial sense, but in some other places as well, because it's not too late to stop this. There are some things that can be done, and you know I don't want to go into that now because it's a long conversation. But maybe we can do another podcast at some point, maybe after the article has come out or when it's nearly finished, and talk about what can still be done. I mean, I think the UK is has fewer options than the U.S., but the U.S. has a number of options, um, and they really revolve around. Um, you know, moving towards some forgiveness of debt um, because the, the the really, and this is where the U.K. is now, I mean, the really dangerous thing now is, you know, what happens to the housing market from here because I, I don't think we're at the bottom in the U.K. And, you know, it's going to be part of the story from here. And, you know, it's it's going to get worse, I think, much worse before it gets better. and So that's going to be something to watch in the U.K. and also in the U.S.,
0: Well, Michael Hampton, the website is GlobalEdgeInvestors.com and Mike posts as Dr. Bub. And as always, Mike, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much.
1: Same with me, Dominic. I always enjoy it. Thank you.
0: Commodity Watch Radio is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. for Mindsight. With music by Manolo Camp. To discuss the markets and have your say... Why not visit our Bulletin Board at GlobalEdgeInvestors.com. That's GlobalEdgeInvestors.com.